0: Welcome to our, I guess I could say it's our first podcast. We've never done this before. I'm Mike Day. I'm Bryce Dunford. And we're here just talking about the scriptures, and we're thinking about, the two of us are are teachers, and we're thinking about uh, maybe generating a way to move information out, help people see and and analyze how Come Follow Me is relevant and, and it works, and how... If you're a teacher and you want to use come follow me and you want to listen to a short podcast on the text, what are some ways I can make this really relevant and work in the classroom? and if you're a student, how can I get more out of the study of scripture And so when uh, Bryce and I were talking about this, we said, well, why don't we do a short podcast at the at the beginning on just how to get more out of your study of the scriptures is that yeah pretty, pretty fair description
1: yeah. There are some techniques and some very simple things that you can do that will really dramatically help your study of the scriptures. Sometimes we're a little bit funny when we study the scriptures. We feel like studying the scriptures is like checking it off, check the list. Okay, I read them, so now I get all the blessings of having read them. Without necessarily realizing that part of my responsibility is to learn some techniques so that I get more out of the content of the scriptures, not the act of reading them. So our goal today is to give you some suggestions that will help you get more out of the context of the Scriptures.
0: And, and reading is—you have to start somewhere. I think reading is so important. I remember my first experience just reading the text and letting, like, feeling the words and the sounds and, and how it made me feel. And I remember thinking, this is bigger than me. There's more here. And so as we approach this, I think what Bryce and I— I think what we want to do, what I want to have Bryce talk about, especially he's such a master teacher, is what are some ways— um, I can study to be a better teacher but then what are some ways that I can study to be a better student so we're kind of tackling it on both ends uh, many of you listening are probably just thinking I just want to get more out of it as a, as a person as someone who's studying but then some of you are under pressures you have every couple of weeks you're teaching a lesson and you're thinking how am I going to teach Romans to 50 people that, that have diverse backgrounds and I think that's where uh, maybe Bryce and I can bring something to the table with a little bit of experience, and I'm just going to brag on Bryce right now. I, I remember the first time I watched Bryce really make the scriptures relevant, and I was watching how he was teaching, and I was thinking to myself, I want that. I want to be a better teacher and to make it relevant, and I think that's one of your many strengths, Bryce, is, is how to do that. So why don't we do this? Why don't we well, do? Let me
1: brag on Mike for a second. <laughs> oh, Gee. Because what I've always loved about Mike is Mike has an ability to... to, There's so many other resources that are available. There's so much good. Joseph Smith said that if there's anything virtuous, lovely, or good or praiseworthy out there, we seek after these things. And Mike has has a hunger and a thirst and has spent his life reading external material and knows what's valuable. And I'm really excited to do a podcast with him because Mike's going to be able to pull in tremendous resources of which I am not familiar. And that's a tremendous asset to have someone who can say, "Look, here's a thinking, here's someone's thought, or here's yeah. someone's suggestion." Let's all admit that Heavenly Father put us down here together to work this thing out. And where idea the idea here is to share your expertise, and so many wonderful people throughout the history of humanity have shared insights and 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 wonderful thoughts from the scriptures that that we really ought to pull them together and share those. So I'm thrilled to be here with Mike.
0: Yeah. thanks Bryce. You're awesome. Uh, I, I want to start with uh, teaching. I think if anybody's drawn to this podcast and they see, come follow me or they say, how do I get more out of the say scriptures? Probably teachers are probably the first one to come here. And if you're a teacher, hey share it with your students if you find this uh, helpful. But are you okay? maybe Bryce talking about teaching and then I don't know if you if you have that quote, but I remember you and I talked about a quote about spreading light, spreading goodness, um, maybe talk a little bit about that and then maybe talk a little bit about uh, how, how can you do it? How can you teach a text? So, for example, let's say you're doing Romans and you have, I mean, by the time the prayer is over in Sunday school, you've got maybe 40 minutes.
1: How do you decide what to do? Um, I, the, the quote Mike's talking about is, these podcasts are our attempt to, answer, to respond to an apostolic call given by Elder Bednar, Years ago, where he asked, upon, he called upon us to quote, "Sweep the earth with messages filled with righteousness and truth, messages that are authentic, edifying, and praiseworthy." We really ought to just spread truth, get light out there. Um, so, if you'll forgive a, you know, two young men who just really do want to just sweep the earth with as much light as we possibly can. Let me do my best to tackle that, and Mike, you just jump in whatever you <laughs> yeah, want. But yeah, I, it's absolutely. just a suggestion to teachers. One of one of the supreme talents of a teacher is the ability to liken the scriptures, liken them to my students, liken them to ourselves. And quite often, when students come to a class, they're looking for a teacher's ability to liken the scriptures. So let me walk you through just what, what does that mean? What does it mean to liken the scriptures? If you'll turn to section 15 of the Doctrine and Covenants, there's only six verses. You can pick any one of them. Six verses of section 15 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Pick one and read it. Have your students read it. And then turn to section 16 and find the same verse. And all of a sudden you'll begin to realize that section 15 and section 16 are identical. Saying the same thing. They're word for word identical. And people will say, that's funny. Why would the Lord repeat it? This is the only repeated section in the Doctrine and Covenants. So the question is, is the material so important that that warrants a, a duplicate duplication? Well, I tell you, honestly, this is great material, but this is not the section I would repeat if I were in charge of the Doctrine and Covenants. So the question is, why? Why would the Lord repeat it? Well, here's the answer. John and Peter Whitmer were in the same circumstances in their life and, therefore, received the same answer. Heavenly Father doesn't speak so much to the individual as he mu- speaks to the circumstance that that individual is in.
0: That, by the way, that's so important, yes. especially when reading texts where you're like, is this literal? Is this figurative? In the Old Testament, there's all these things, and I, th- I want to just draw that out, the circumstance read yourself into the circumstance. Go on, Bryce. So John's
1: in a circumstance gets a revelation. Peter's in a circumstance gets the same revelation. Now, most of us could name another Whitmer brother, right? David. So go back to section 14 and you'll find a section given to David Whitmer, but it's not six verses. It's much more lengthy. Interesting. So why among the three Whitmer brothers does David get more attention? Well, the answer is obvious, right? David's in a different circumstance. David's going to be one of the witnesses of the Book of Mormon. He needs more information. So anyone that was in John Whitmer's circumstance or Peter Whitmer's circumstance, what if you went down to the prophet at the time and asked for a revelation? What would the revelation say? Well, word for word, it would say exactly what the Lord has already said to someone in that circumstance. So now the study of the scriptures becomes... Search for and understand the circumstance that relates to your situation, and then you can accept the instructions given by the Lord to someone else in that same circumstance as if the Lord were giving them to your circumstance. So, for example, a beautiful verse in section 31, Thomas B. Marsh, the Lord says, that Tom, the hour of his mission has come. So, Thomas B. Marsh is in a circumstance where he's being called on a mission. Now, how many young women and young women, how many people in this church are in the same circumstance where the hour of their mission has come? Therefore, the promise made to Thomas B. Marsh is the same promise the Lord would give them. Look at verse 5.
0: Can I read it? Please, Mike. Therefore, a thrust in your sickle with your with all your soul. There's your, the condition. Yep. And
1: here come three promises.
0: And I like these. And your sins are forgiven you, and you shall be laden with sheaves upon your back, for the labor is worthy of his hire, wherefore your
1: family shall live. Now that's not just for Thomas B. Marsh. That's for everyone in Thomas B. Marsh's circumstance. So when the hour of your mission is come, no matter what that mission is. If you thrust in your sickle with all your soul, what is your blessing just like it was Thomas B. Marsh's blessing? Yeah.
0: And so in other words, one thing you can do, I'm I'm a big Old Testament uh, nerd. I love to read the Old Testament. You can see a, a circumstance that someone's in, and maybe it's not your exact circumstance, but if you look at what they're in, and you can ask yourself as a teacher, how are my students like this person so for example if i was doing abraham and he's leaving the safety of home and the lord says i want you to go to egypt and the lord gives him some really difficult instruction how are my students moving from a place of safety to a place that's that's a challenge and there what does the go. lord what does the lord do with him
1: that's exactly what you need to do as a teacher mike and, and what do you call that You that's likening likening the scriptures. okay likening because you went into the scriptures and said look this circumstance that abraham was in thousands of years ago <laughs> is very much like the circumstance my students are in. Therefore, the instructions given to Abraham will guide anyone in that circumstance. So let's do an example. We did Alma, uh, we did um, Doctrine and Covenants section 31. Let's do Nephi building the boat. All right, Mike, ready? Yeah. What do you see in the circumstance and how might modern day students be in the same? They're never going to be asked to build a boat, so you can't be literal. Right. You got to be able to say, okay, Nephi was asked to build a boat. How are your how have been how have your children or your students been in that same circumstance and what comfort what instructions do they get from Nephi's reaction?
0: Yeah, I think one thing that really hits is Nephi had a lot of skills, but he wasn't a shipbuilder. That's right. But he knew how to make tools, he knew how to pray, he had a, he had a knowledge of the spirit. And he also, I think by the time the the ship, if we're doing the ship, I think his confidence in the Lord was such that he knew that if he didn't know it, that if he moved, if he was moving in the direction that he needed to go, that it would work itself out. And so one of the things that I like about this idea was, was he says to the Lord, "Okay, I can make the tools, but help, Lord, show me where to make it. And then as he makes the tools, and I think, I don't know the exact phrase, but isn't it in 17? It might be in 17 or 18, yeah. somewhere in there where he says
1: that from time to time, the Lord gave 18, him instruction. Verse 1. See, I love how you know that. 18 verse 1, he went up to the mountain, oft, and from time to time, the Lord would show him.
0: Yeah, I just love that. In your, I mean, that's a quote. Yeah. That's, so that's let brilliant. me summarize
1: what you just said, Mike. When you're in a difficult circumstance and have been given a task that you cannot complete... If you will move forward with the tasks you can complete, then the Lord will open up your abilities and allow you to do what you couldn't do. And by the way, this is universal in its
0: application. Whether you're teaching college students like you teach, Bryce, or ninth grade students, if you're teaching young Sunday school or seminary students, or a, a group of mixed, you know, a mixed multitude, as it were, people in retirement, people that are young, everybody has tasks that they think, I mean... That's the human human experience, isn't it? Parenting. Um, And I don't know, and and this podcast is really organic. We're not editing ums and does, and I'm not looking up a lot of sources other than the text right now. But Elder Oaks one time said that revelation comes when we're on the move. And it's just a little, sometimes the brethren will just say little one-liners where I'm like, that is just brilliant. And that's been my experience. I feel like the Lord is so patient with us. He says to me, Mike. Here's your task. I just want you to start moving, and isn't that isn't that a big application? And there's there? yeah. no
1: way the Lord opens up the visions of how to build a boat if Nephi doesn't move forward with building. That's tools. It's just brilliant. So there's a, a great likeness. So how about we give him a couple helps with with Come Follow Me curriculum? So we want to do what we're doing right now. Let's jump into let's do let's start with Romans. I know okay. Romans is past. We've already done Romans, but. If you're going to tackle Romans, the first thing you need to do is, what's the circumstance? What was life like in Rome? By the way, just that question alone can be overwhelming for a teacher. Right. So just take a breath. And what do you know about the history of Rome that might give you some pretty good ideas of what life was like for the Roman saints? And what would Paul talk about as he wrote to the Romans? So, Mike, what was life like for the Romans?
0: Oh my goodness! Uh, where do you start, right? It, it was a different life. Um, certainly, the saints were in the minority, and certainly, you know, the violence of the Roman Empire so was violence. there. It was it was a harsh environment. A third of the empire were slaves, and so Paul's always addressing that issue about the slaves in in the kingdom. Uh, there was a disparity of wealth, uh, and Romans one starts out with this whole idea that you're in Rome, but don't do like the Romans.
1: And the Romans were involved in immorality, I think is an understatement, I think. So is it safe to say that just before we even jump into Romans, that Paul's gonna talk a lot about natural man, carnal, flesh, those types of issues because of the environment that the Romans are in. So now you start reading the book of Romans, Looking for the message of how do you overcome the natural man? Because it's a very carnal environment. That's a really, I mean, just to make that
0: statement, to go from here's their environment, here's what Paul's doing, how can I liken it? Just those questions and thinking about those, there's a lesson framework right there. Unlocks
1: the book of Revelation. Now, contrast that, Mike, with Corinthians. Okay. So Romans is a very carnal environment. Alcohol would certainly be involved. Um, immorality would be involved. That's a Roman environment. Tell me about Corinthians. Well, the saints in Corinth lived
0: in a. It was a port city, and there was a, a pathway between these two bays, and so it drew a lot of commerce. And uh, there was obviously the temples to the gods. Uh, once again, you've got some immorality. A lot of times, the worship of the gods involved female, male prostitution, that's happening. What else do you have? You've got Greek philosophers. You've got a lot of philosophy going on. You have a lot of, at least in Corinthians, as Paul writes it, there's a lot of enmity
1: between the members or divisions. And so he's trying to take that out. And you begin to see a framework for Corinthians. He's speaking to a group of people that are very conflicted with worldly philosophies because those port cities are gonna bring in... Everything. Everything from the world. And so how do we deal with worldly philosophies and, and, and tune the spirit in? How do I turn out the voices of the world and tune in the voices of God? And so clearly Corinthians is a very different book than Romans. You've gotta understand the context.
0: One, one thing I do like about Corinthians, and you'll see this as you prepare, is the churches weren't like what we think of. Like we think we go to church and there's a building. If you're listening to this podcast and you're outside of maybe continental United States, you might go to a branch where there's maybe a rented space. But these homes were homes, they were house churches, and it was followers of Jesus that would go to someone's home. And the women, a lot of times, were the ones that kind of prepared the meal. You would go and have a meal. And uh, the slaves wouldn't get off work till later in the Greek the word is doulos and in the text especially as we read the King James I don't know if the King James translators didn't like that word and so doulos gets translated out and it's servant and so whenever Paul's talking to servants in the Greek they're slaves and the issue was that the slaves would come late they would make it late to the meeting because they had to work till sunset and all the best food was eaten I'm I'm a big fan of Chick-fil-a so in my mind uh, Chloe who was in charge of the house church uh, would serve it, and all the wealthy would eat, and the Chick-fil-A would be gone, and all that would be left would be kale. And the running joke of my family is, kale's delicious. You put it in a pan, and you put coconut oil in it, and you fry it, and as soon as it's ready, you throw it in the garbage. Well, that was what was left, was the kale. And the slaves would show up and just have kale, as it were. And so what Paul's saying is, we need to treat each other like we're family. And you wouldn't do that if it was your family, would you? You
1: wouldn't go to Thanksgiving and eat all the good food. And then wait for some son's son to show up yeah. late and, oh, you've got nothing left.
0: Yeah, and so these circumstances are happening. Now, we don't have that in the church. We don't have a meal, but we have bread and water to represent the, the sacrament. But how is that, if I'm doing this right, Bryce, how is that circumstance of the unfairness, the inequality that Paul's addressing, how can that
1: translate to a 2019 audience? Because we have unfairness and inequality in our society. Yes. And so you begin to say, okay, as Paul's addressing unfairness and inequality in a Corinthian environment, how is that like some of the unfairness or inequality that we face in our society? And now all of a sudden, as a teacher, you have a framework to go into the scriptures and find what then were the instructions for that environment. Yes. Yes. So, Mike, give us an example from Corinthians that might help a teacher who's teaching a lesson where an audience is facing an unfair or un, an unequal ine- situation. Yeah. Knowing that framework, how, is, how give me an example from Corinthians.
0: A really easy one is probably the eighth chapter. It's just, a, you know, we've already done, you know, the eating the food before the, the slaves get off work. But eight, I mean, we're not going to read it, but you can read it at home. Chapter eight is just about how people viewed eating meat. And so in, in the world of Corinth, in the world of the ancient world, you, you, know, you ate meat, but the animal was sacrificed to a god. So imagine, Bryce, you go to buy a, a steak and it's been killed to Zeus or Apollo or what have you. And you take the meat home and you feed your family. And Paul says in here, he's like, the meat doesn't make us weak if we eat meat that's been sacrificed to Zeus but what he does say is there there's this inequal view some members some of these christians were I, I don't know what the word is they were just really strict and they thought that's not really doing it right you're not holy enough if you did that and so essentially what paul says in first corinthians 8 is well then i don't want to offend my brother and so i'm just going to read this one verse verse 13 It's the last verse of the chapter Wherefore if meat makes my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So what do you think Paul's trying to do and how would you translate that to a
1: modern audience? So, if I'm if I'm Mike Day's neighbor and I know my, that Mike Day is a pr- profound uh, teacher of the gospel and scholarly and all of a sudden I see Mike Day eating meat that I know came from the temple of Zeus. Yeah. I might be tempted to worship Zeus. Not knowing that Mike understands that the meat has nothing to do with my worship. And so in other words, there are things we do in the church that we know are fine, but might give off the impression to other people that we're doing something wrong. Can I give you an example? Yeah, yeah. I have a dear friend that had a scar when we we were young, had a scar on his neck. So he always kept his hair long. He was a little embarrassed about the scar. So he kept his hair long, went on a mission, couldn't do it, cut his hair, came home from his mission, and once again, now that the, you know, his dress grooming standards weren't mission standards, he grew his hair out long. And one of the mothers in his ward came up and said something about it that her son had noticed he was kind of going back to his rebellious way. Mm. The reality is this guy's just grown out his hair because he's got an ugly scar on his neck that he's a little embarrassed about. But the interpretation was he's returning to his old ways. So now the instructions for that circumstance. Paul says, if you're in that circumstance, be very, very careful that you don't lead someone else astray. This is kind of a higher principle, Mike, that have the maturity to understand that I'm not doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with growing out my hair. But if me growing out my hair might lead someone astray, it's not worth it to me, so I'm going to cut my hair. Yeah. There are people who think that, you know, Coke products or caffeinated drinks are against the word of wisdom. And so someone might say, you know what, if me... There, I don't believe that caffeinated drinks are against the word of wisdom. But if me drinking a caffeinated drink is going to lead you astray. Paul would say, don't do it. Then I'm going to choose to live a good example. That's what he's trying to say is be aware how something you're doing might affect someone else. So so hopefully
0: just a couple of these examples can help teachers see, boy, when you approach a text, what's the circumstance? uh, What's being addressed? One thing in our conversations before, Bryce, and I don't know how much you want to talk about this now, but one thing in our conversations that you really helped me understand years ago was this idea that um, humans have tendencies, and we all are in this human condition together. And a lot of times, whoever is writing the text is addressing that tendency and gives the solution. Now, sometimes you have to pull it out, but sometimes it's right there. Do you want to talk about that just for a minute
1: before we get into study? And the danger of it, because if I'm trying to correct a behavior, if I don't identify what the correction is, I might actually push someone who doesn't have that inappropriate action to an extreme. Let me use an example. Let's suppose justice and mercy. There are those who see God as all justice. And there, there are those who see God as all mercy. So someone who sees God as all justice is going to live in constant doubt of their salvation. I'm never going to make it. I'm never enough. I'm never good enough. I'm yeah. never enough. Someone who sees God as all mercy is going to say, we can eat, drink, and have, be merry because God will justify in committing a little sin. He loves us so much. He's so kind. He's so forgiving that if I commit a few sins, it's going to be fine. So the problem is what do I need to say to the person who sees God as all justice? I need to teach them about mercy, right? Right. But you have a mixed but audience. What would that message do yeah. to someone who misunderstands God as being all mercy? You have a mixed audience. It would push them astray. Yeah. And what, what message do I give to the person who sees mercy as or God as all mercy? I need to talk about justice. And that, you know, I, the the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. But what does that message do to someone who sees God as all justice?
0: This is one of the struggles of being a teacher. The
1: very struggle of being a teacher is to say, okay, in this circumstance, what behavior is being corrected? Okay. And you can't just simply teach that in a generic sense because if someone doesn't need that behavior corrected, it may push them astray. So part of being a teacher is to say, what circumstance are my students in? That's really good. What circumstance are my students in? And that's the correction I'm going to talk about rather than, see, Paul talks a lot about mercy to the Roman saints who are in a very afflicted environment, Yes, that they see their rulers as harsh and demanding. And it would be easy to interpret in that environment that God is harsh and demanding. So what message does Paul say to a group that's uh, a people who believe God is harsh and demanding? He talks about grace and justice. Romans 8 is beautiful. But what beautiful happens text. if all you hear is that God is graceful and merciful and demanding? You get comfortable in your... <laughs> now all of a sudden that may push you in ex- to extremes. So one of the challenges of teaching, especially when you're looking for what's the environment, you've got to make sure that you find the environment related to the students you're teaching? What 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 course correction do they need to make? And, and where in the scriptures is that course correction taught? And this is easier, I think, in Come Follow Me when you're teaching a
0: group of, say, you're teaching 16, 17-year-olds. Not that they're all the same, but they're kind of in the same yeah. boat. It's easy when you're teaching uh, young adults, college students, but I think some of the the challenges would be if you're teaching a Sunday school class on right. a ward with a
1: mixed environment. Right. Yeah. And so in that case you got to make sure you teach the principle and then you teach a balancing principle. So here's the principle for these group of people but be careful not to take that too Yeah. in an extreme. And and we'll do that over the course of as we go as through we the text we'll text. see this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll try and make sure that we say now
0: wait there's a balancing yeah. principle here. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about being a student, but before I get into that, is there anything
1: else about teaching you want to get into? No, I think one of the key skills of teaching is as you prepare, you need to learn to liken. You just need to learn to say what's the circumstance of the scriptures and how does it relate to the students that i'm teaching because god speaks to the circumstance and the instructions that would solve this circumstance will solve anyone in that same circumstance so let that be kind of a guide for teachers okay good Um, i want
0: to talk a little bit about being a student and getting more out of the text and Clearly, we're not going to cover it all here. We're, we're going to do this piecemeal you know, as we go through the text and we'll see all kinds of things. But this is just an overview. But I just want to share uh, just my experience. The first time I read uh, the Book of Mormon or the first time I read the Bible and I really went through it, I just remember feeling the, this sense of awe. Like there's so much more here. And I remember there would be times when I would be overcome with the Spirit. And then I thought, how can I be feeling the Spirit when there's so much I don't totally understand. And sometimes, I don't know if you listeners out there ever feel this way, but I remember for years, I felt this with Paul. I'd be reading and I'm like, what's he saying? What's going on? And, and it doesn't read like Nephi. First Nephi is just like, it spoke to me as a young man. But over the years, uh, as I've done more, I think the first thing I would say as a student is just read it. I think every day, it's like, if you're learning a language, you got to be in it in every day. I'm a big fan of of spending some time and being in it and another thing that I really like and there's lots of different ways to read the scriptures and there's no one right way but for me reading it all the way through is good but it's also good to read it and to pause and think carefully and if you come across a word you don't know it's totally okay To like look it up, so I want to throw some resources out to you, the listeners, that are really powerful. So here's one, and I use it every day, and and we're in no way affiliated with this website, but I just am a big fan of it. It's called Blue Letter Bible. So if you Google Blue Letter Bible, and it's BlueLetterBible.org, anything in the Bible, any verse, you can pull it up and you can find out what the words mean. If you come across a word you're not understanding, this resource doesn't give you content and context as far as, you know, what's going on in Rome at the time. But if you're like, well, what is the word, what does the word grace mean? And you can, the word is charis and you can look it up and you can ponder it and see how it's used in other places.
1: That's a really good start, and you can also see how it was translated in other renditions of the Bible, which is tremendously insightful to say how did the how did the translators of this version translate that? How did they translate this one? Yeah, you know, for example, when we talk about it is easier for a rich man to get to heaven, or it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Well, that word, eye of the needle, needle may very well have been mistranslated. And as you look at other translations, it kind of gives the idea that it's uh, not a camel, but a rope. So there you go. And so it's, it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than a rope to get through a needle that's a lot more realistic than a camel to get through the eye of a needle. And so there's tremendous insight as you look at Blue Letter Bible yeah. and find other translations. For years I used Strong's Concordance and then the internet was invented. And then I w- I,
0: I gotta tell you listeners, the internet, I, as a scripture person, as a, I call myself a scripture nerd, the internet is just amazing c- because I would, I've saved a lot of money basically, because there's all kinds of stuff I can read now that I don't have to drop as much money. I'm still spending money on books. And Sonia, I'm sorry, I'm trying. Um, But I I do want to reference another book. And like I said, this book isn't for everybody, but this book really helped me out. And it's called Beholding the Tree of Life. And it's by Bradley Kramer. So Bradley, if you have any fans out there listening, throw him a bone and tell him, hey, we just referenced your book. Uh, It's called The Rabbinical Approach to the Book of Mormon. Now, I was reading Jewish commentaries on the Old Testament before I picked up Bradley Kramer's book, but Bradley Kramer writes it from an LDS perspective, and he basically gets out and says, hey, the Book of Mormon is prophetic midrash on the Bible, and the Bible comments on the Book of Mormon. And so I want to talk about midrash. I want to talk about you know how the Jews read scripture, because that's kind of where this stuff's coming from. I, the religion of Israel is like this foundation, and from that we get this Jewish apostasy, and Lehi stands up and says, wait, we need to go over here. And then the Book of Mormon starts, and so there's a lot of ideas swirling around that are really, really old. And so there's this idea, and obviously I'm not Jewish, but there's this idea in Judaism of Midrash, and what that is is we would read Scripture, but then half the time we would give to Discussing scripture. And as they did it, the idea in their culture was that scripture was meant to be shared. It's kind of like a meal, kind of like what Bryce and I are doing. We would read the text, but then half the time would be spent talking about the text. And there was this idea, and I don't know the exact word for it, but it was this idea of synergy or almost magic as you would read it and you talk about it that you would get enlightenment. And if you think about it, like as I was reading these ideas that Bradley explained so well, I thought that's really good teaching. Um, I don't know if a good teacher, if you have 45 minutes, if you're just going to read for 45 minutes. I don't think that's good teaching. But I also don't think it's good teaching if you don't read anything. I think if, if a teacher has, if you have 16 year olds twice a month on Sunday to take them through Romans, um, it, by darn it, you should be in Romans, you should spend some time in there. If you just teach them those two times and you never open the scriptures, I don't know if that's right. But anyway, back to enough teaching, back to study. Um, there's this idea in Judaism and it's an acronym called Pardes, and it's this four ways to read the text. And Pardes is, once again, an acronym for these words, it's Peshat, Remez, Derash, and Sod. And you don't need to know the words, but it's good for you to understand the ideas. And so Peshat is the plain reading of the text. So let's say you're reading, I'm going to pick something easy, like Genesis, Genesis like 7, 8, 9. You're reading about Noah, right? Um, well, what does the text say? And you, and you read it and you talk about it, and a child can understand that. It is very basic, and that's the plain reading, and you should know that. Um, but the remez, the next level, is this, well, what is it an allegory for? Remez means, what is a, a deeper meaning that has... Uh, relevance as an allegory or as a story and how, what is it like? What is the flood like? Who is Noah like? And so early Christians would write this and say, well Noah is kind of like Adam because theres he's like the new Adam. And Noah is kind of like Jesus, right? He invites us to come and be saved. And, and the idea of the ark being a, a symbol for the temple with three layers and it's swirling in chaos in the ocean. So allegory is another way to look at the story. And a couple more, uh, darash. And this is what Bryce is—I mean, brilliant at all this—but he's so good at application. The darash is when you when you approach the text. How does it apply? How does this story have a fit in my life and bring me to holiness? What's broken in my life that yeah. this story fixes? Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times when I when I get to that level, I love the plain reading. I'm a huge fan that not everything always is literal. Now obviously there's some things literal. Jesus is the Christ and he's the savior and resurrected, but I don't know if some, you know, I'll give an example, a really easy one for our listeners. When there's this narrative of Samson where he ties these little fuses to 300 foxes and lights the fuses and sends the foxes into the, into the crane of the Philistines. I don't necessarily take that literal, but there's something there, right? And we, we may get to that. But anyway, the dirash, what's the deeper meaning that I can apply? And then finally, the, the next level, which I think is awesome, and it's sowed. And that's the Hebrew word for the counsel of the gods or the secret. It's Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. And the word "secret" is sowed. And sowed is this, the idea is that the prophet is taken to an otherworldly experience, to an ascent. And he comes to God and God, and, and by the way, it's a council, deities, male and female deities, a council of gods. And, and he, he meets with them, and they discuss with him what his mission is. Uh, the kings did this in, in Egypt. The narrative was that the king would be brought up to God and be given a map of what he's to teach the people and what his mission is as king. And prophets do this. And so even the notion of prophets in our modern world is lost. We have this idea that prophet is to say, well, what's to happen? to like a fourth teller. And while that does happen, these prophets are ones, these are people that are spokespeople for the council. And it's all temple, sewed and secret and mysterion. These words are all swirling around, they're very similar and they, they, they mean the secret of the gods. And so as we read the text, and it's everywhere, the more, once you see it, I say all the time, once you see it, you can't unsee it. The Book of Mormon is all about the temple. And so much of the New Testament is, and so much of the Old Testament. So what in this text teaches me about the temple, um, my covenants, the endowment, and what in this wrapped up really is about meeting one day, we will meet the Savior. And that's like the so level, and
1: it's deep, and it's awesome. And yet it's so there and throughout the Scripture. Yeah. It's one thing to read them. It's one thing to read them and see a message. How does a circumstance relate? It's the other thing to say, okay, what are the answers for my life? Yeah. But what you're talking about, Mike, is if the scriptures don't connect you to God, then they haven't really done what they were supposed to do. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, connect Neil, you to God. Neil A. Maxwell said this. I love this quotation. Layman and Lemuel also displayed little lasting spiritual curiosity. Once true, they asked straightforward questions about the meaning of the vision of the tree, the river, the rod. Yet their questions were really more like trying to connect doctrinal dots rather than connecting themselves with God and his purposes for them. That's it. Don't let your scripture study stay at the connect doctrinal dots level. We're not trying to connect doctrinal dots. We're trying to take the text and every chapter of every book Take that text and connect yourself to God. Yeah. How does that chapter connect you to God? You can feel it as a teacher, can't
0: you? Can. you? When, when you teach a, a class and the Spirit's there and they've connected with God, I don't know what other word to use than just, it's just beauty.
1: Right. And, and that's what we want. And I think that's what, if you're a teacher listening, I think that's what you want. Yep. You want to get to that level. You want to connect students to God. It's like, I love Elder Holland gives a story about learning about the parable of the unmerciful servant. The king who has a servant who owes him 10,000 talents, and then the servant goes out and finds another ser- servant who owes him 100 pence. Initial reading, he interpreted it as it was a marvelous lesson on the need to forgive. Mm. But then when the teacher started pointing out that 10,000 talents is in modern equivalents, like $13 billion, never pay it back. Then all of a sudden he began to realize, wait a minute, this is my debt to God. Yeah. And what was a parable on the need to forgive became elder Holland's first lesson on the depth of the atonement. He found atonement in a parable about forgiveness. And by the way,
0: both messages are great. Right. But when you connect it to your relationship with God, it's like a different level, isn't it? Is. It is.
1: It is. So you've got to find that deeper level. So hopefully we can do that. Yeah. And let, let me pick a, let, let me um take the next uh, another step Mike and throw something else in. Mike's talking about Well, let me point out that one of the best things you can do to get more out of the scriptures is read them. Just read them. You got You got to start there. Just read them. Yeah. But what Mike's trying to talk about, and I'd like to illustrate, is if you want to get more out of the scriptures, it's what you do when you're not in the scriptures. You got to read them. But far too many people finish reading them and shut the book. And then we kind of go on our day. And, we, and, and the book is gone. Yeah, What I just experienced in that book is gone. So let me share a thought from 3rd Nephi. Jesus teaches some very profound doctrines. And then in chapter 17, verse 2, he says, I perceive that you are weak that you cannot understand all my words, which I I am commanded of the Father to speak unto you. Now, doesn't that describe your study of the Scriptures sometimes or your visit to the temple? Yeah, what happened? He's given me more than I could comprehend. So watch what he says in the next verse. Therefore, go home. In other words, the key to getting more out of the scriptures is what you do when you close the scriptures. That's a good point. It's not what you're doing when you're reading them. You gotta go home. You wanna get more out of the temple. It's something you do when you leave the temple. So he says, go home. And then what does he say next, Mike? This is just prof this is just yeah. so simple. Ponder upon the thing. Think about it. Yeah. That's when these different levels start to come out. Yeah. It's when you digest what you've just read. You can't just shut the book and walk away. You've got to ponder it. And the next on the list is Let's see, after you ponder, then you got to ask the ask Father. Him. Yeah. You've got to ask him. And then notice the next thing he says is ask that you may understand and then prepare your minds for tomorrow because what's going to happen tomorrow i'm going to go back to the yeah. scriptures yeah so what does that mean to prepare my mind to go back to the scriptures mike how do you after you've read something profound yeah you close the book you got you think about it for a while yeah it 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 creates some questions that you ask god what how do you take that last phrase prepare your mind to go back to, the to scriptures? me
0: and this is to me how revelation works is i approach with a question i can't tell you how many times i'll be vexed with something that i'm i'm working on maybe it's a language issue or a word and i'll go to the text with that question in mind i i think that's how not only how revelation works but i think that's how god wants us to to learn and to come to him. What he's, do you think about that? He's
1: more likely to answer the question you've brought to the scripture yeah. study than if you're just opening up the book. I think that's brilliant. And so uh, as a teacher, I don't know if you ever do this, but I start
0: my class a lot of times. I say, hey guys, do you have any questions? Yeah. And a lot of times they there's nothing, and that's okay. As a teacher, I've learned silence is okay. But I know when a student's There's engaged something magical. when we're getting into it and then a student will raise, Okay, that just made me think this
1: question and that's where the traction is. That's where it, it, magic happens, right? It's what we're, I call divine curiosity. Yeah. Once you elicit divine curiosity, revelation flows. The Lord's a master at divine curiosity. Yeah. Because he'll you know, the brother of Jared sees the finger and then the Lord says, Did you see more than my finger? Well, the Lord knows what he saw. Why would he ask the question, did you see more than my finger? He's
0: trying to get He's him to... He's trying to
1: get him that divine yeah. curiosity to bring a question to me. Bring me the question. Can I see more? That's being Can a I good student, more? right? Yes. You want more. Give it's me more. It's also being a good teacher. Yeah. It's that how do you create that divine curiosity? The Lord shows Joseph Smith a vision of the celestial kingdom. Hey, look at the, the gate that we're going to walk through. Look at the streets. Look, there's a few people you might recognize. Hey, wait, Joseph, who's that? That's Alvin. End of vision. But wait. Wait Alvin, Alvin wasn't baptized. So the Lord walks away and leaves Joseph doing what? He leaves him hanging. Wait a minute. How did Alvin get here? He died before the restoration. And what happens in Joseph's heart is divine curiosity causes him to yearn for an understanding that facilitates revelation. Yeah. So read the scriptures. Close them. But ponder them, Yes. think about them, ask about them, and when they create that divine curiosity within you, you go back to the scriptures looking for an answer mm. and that facilitates revelation. If all you do is close the book, never give it a second of thought, and then come back and open up the bo- book, you limit the Lord's ability. To speak to you because you haven't created that environment in which revelation flows.
0: And, and I will say, reading it and shutting it,
1: it's better than nothing. Right. But, I'd rather have someone yeah. read the scriptures and shut them yeah. than not read them. Yeah. But if you want to take your scripture studying to the next level, especially when you... I love that Mike's pointed out all these different levels that every scripture block has. If you want to find those other levels, it's because you close the scriptures and you think about them. And I would say this, what
0: we're doing, I think it's good to talk about. talk about and, and let me just say this, and this, I'm a huge book nerd and I realize what I'm about to say isn't for everybody, but for me, when I read a book that someone wrote, it's like having a conversation. So throughout this, as we do these, I'll be referencing stuff where I'm like, oh, this guy wrote this really cool book or this gal wrote this really uh, cool video or whatever. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I will learn something so profound from an author, and it's just, they just drop it like it was just common knowledge. And it will be one sentence, and that one sentence I'll just be thinking about it all day, and I'll walk away and go, That's brilliant. How did I miss that? And glory be to God that I live in a time where people can write things and we can share these ideas. And right. so this is just one little, like, but it's what like you're, one stone in the ocean, right? But we're what just, you're
1: not pointing out is that curiosity. It's going to drive you to go back to the scriptures and look for it. And get more. Yeah. And now your study of the scriptures has been enhanced because someone planted a great idea in your head. And if we do that, what if we talked more about the scriptures? What if we shared insights and thoughts and application and we got to that connect ourselves with God level more often? Then what if someone planted an idea in your head that when you opened up the scriptures again you're looking for that you've invited revelation because you're looking for something by the way if you're a teacher and you're that kind
0: of person it's already exciting it is. if i'm in a classroom with a teacher who's excited about learning they're excited about what's happening in the text and they see relevance and they're showing it to me and i'm getting fed now i'm on the edge of my seat and i'm excited yeah. and so i really think the best teachers are the best students yeah. in other words they go hand in hand yeah. um i think That's, this is a good intro. Is there anything on the top of your head you want to close out with, or should we
1: just kind of wrap it up? No, I think this is a great summary. I just, um, just a personal witness to all the teachers and students out there that I have studied these scriptures for decades, and I don't believe I've even come close to the bottom of the sea. Oh, amen. (laughs) They are so deep, and they are so rich, and every single time I come back to the scriptures, I find amazing things that I can't believe I missed the first time. How did I miss that? And I wonder what am I missing this time that I'm going to come back to in a few years and see that I didn't see this time and that's the beauty of the scriptures is it an Jesus talked about a well that quenches our thirst and yet never ends. It is a well of living water. That will, that will answer and quench a thirst that we all have deep in my soul. Mike and everyone listening, I just, I, with all my soul, I testify that there is more to be had. There is more in the scriptures. It is exciting. It is thrilling. Come, come to the scriptures and drink and feast. Amen.
0: And on that note, we will uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll see you next week. And uh, who knows what we'll do next week. We'll do something. I, I think what we want to do is maybe a few, a few questions and then jump into the text. But like Bryce, I amen to everything he said. And also, God bless you. You teachers out there, I know it's not easy. So thanks for joining us. See you everyone. We're out.